Well, hello everyone. My name is Kevin, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant. Welcome to our podcast. Today we are doing our fifth and final, for now, episode on mental health. Maybe we'll do some more down the road at some point, but for now we're doing five episodes and we're ending with this episode today. And today I'm once again joined, like last week, by Lisa Wold. She is a counselor at Bethel University um, in the student services. I don't know what department it is. Yeah, it's under student life. Sure. So she does that. Um, and <laughs> one, of her other, one of her other passion areas is trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be digging into that today because trauma affects all kinds of things. It affects pre-existing mental health diagnoses. It creates new ones. It does lots that I yeah. can't even... I'm not equipped to talk about it, which is why you're here. <laughs> so thank you again, Lisa, for being here. Yes. And so let's just kind of start out by... Um, talking a little bit about what trauma is because it's a very big word it encompasses a lot of things and we can't even specifically dial in on every single piece of it no an hour or however long we talk this time will not be enough Um, yep but i think it's yeah i think it's good to to at least get some information out there about Mm -hmm. it because it is something that's impacting a lot of people so yeah so yeah one of the ways you talked about trauma in our previous conversation is that it's a normal response to an abnormal event. Yes. What does I, that mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you take away nothing else from this conversation, that's one of the pieces I would want you to take away because what happens... So it's helpful to identify that trauma is actually our response to events. The trauma... Events are not trauma. Trauma is our response to the event. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So um, an event is traumatic. Yeah, an event can be traumatic, but the but trauma is actually what how the changes that happen to us as a result of experiencing that event. So I'll often use the term like a trauma producing event, but trauma responses for us um, are basically just things that happen both in the moment and um, sometimes even afterwards to help us cope with these trauma producing events and often what I'm looking for when it comes to a trauma producing event is that it was unexpected um, there was nothing that you could do about it as the person who's experiencing the event um, and it overwhelmed your abilities to cope mm-hmm. so you hit a you know you hit kind of that trifecta of things and often that can lead to some symptoms of trauma and I'm saying that very carefully because I think a lot of times when we hear the word trauma we think immediately PTSD which we will mm-hmm. get into but um, not everyone who with trauma symptoms has PTSD. Mm-hmm. And PTSD is obviously a very big part of a lot of conversations, especially yes. in the last five to 10, 15 years, just because it's like been featured so much more in like television and yes. film. And it's been like, you've seen PTSD in film and stuff, but it's maybe not been named explicitly yes. until in the last five to 10 years. Yeah, and it really came out of understanding what was happening. I mean, especially PTSD, understanding PTSD in particular, came out of understanding what's going on with our veterans as they're coming mm-hmm. back. Um, because they're they're having these symptoms. Again, you know, we talked last week about how when you are dealing with something with mental health, it's often a cluster of symptoms. And so all of these men started coming back with a certain cluster of symptoms. And it's like, okay, what's going on here? We need to figure this out. Sure. And so one of the things that we talked about is that um, there can kind of be something that's like what you call big T trauma and little T trauma. What's kind of the difference there? Yeah. So 
a lot of times, especially when you get into the DSM, and I know Anna talked about that, that's like the big diagnostic manual that we all kind of look at, but big T trauma are the things are the things you probably think about when you hear the word trauma, such as like, you know, they're big overwhelming events that often threaten life and limb or or your emotional well-being. So whether that's, you know, a, a, a traumatic accident or like a car accident. Like or, a car accident, mm-hmm. yeah. War, um, you know, a, a tragic death, like all, all those things we would call big T traumas. But there can be things where either, you know, we talked about this, there can be an accumulation of, of sort of events that are traumatic, that do overwhelm our coping abilities, um, that can be traumas, or there can be things that to me, because of my personality, my background, my experiences, all of that, that have, you know, impact me in a traumatic way that may not necessarily impact you. Right. And so... That, that's important to know that what's trauma for one person may not be trauma for another. Yes. Yeah, because there's a lot that has to... Trauma is often in the eye of the beholder in that sense mm-hmm. of like, you know, how I'm, how I'm coping, how I'm impacted by an event can look very different than how you mm-hmm. are. And again, that's not even... That's not a judgment call at all. Right. It, our backgrounds can play into that. Our support systems that we have around us can play into that. Our, you know, have we experienced previous traumas like this before? Like all of that can play into mm-hmm. how we experience a, a traumatic event. So two people could be in the, the same car, getting an accident, and you know maybe their physical level of injury or non-injury is the same. Yeah. But in terms of mental health, they could have com- two completely different responses where one person doesn't manifest any trauma symptoms yep. and the other does. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I crack stents are a great example because they happen to so many of us. And so, <laughs> yep. you know, um, and, I'll, you know, and, and I think it's a great example too because it shows kind of, A, like you said, two people can be in the same thing and we've often had that. Or maybe you weren't the driver so it, it impacted you in a different way. Or you've been in a crack stent before so now you were a little bit more jittery trying to get back into a car. I mean, all those things could play into how you mm-hmm. experience that event. Um, the other thing that I like about crack stents is because again, we're, we're most familiar with them is that you'll kind of notice, like you don't have to have any kind of full-blown PTSD to notice sort of symptoms that you've experienced on things. So for instance, for those of you who might recognize like, oh, I, you know, I've been hit before and whenever someone comes too quickly in that same direction towards my Mm -hmm. car you kind of have that little body response Mm -hmm. and that's that's a really normal symptom of of trauma Mm -hmm. the thing about it is is that trauma symptoms can feel overwhelming if you have enough of them and that's why i like to go back to that trauma symptoms are normal responses to abnormal events the event is the thing that was not normal your body trying to cope with that it's doing it in a very normal way but it can feel like a lot when you're experiencing Mm -hmm. it and something too with the little t trauma that we uh talked about previously is that this can be a cumulative thing where yes each of the incidents on their own may not do much to you yeah but cumulatively they create a trauma response so like i think of myself this maybe wasn't quite trauma for me but like um, I was at a in a toxic workplace for some time, and like each of the things that were examples of the toxicity there, weren't necessarily 
trauma inducing on their own yeah but over time when another thing happened it was just like yeah and so that's kind of how little t trauma can kind of develop um another example you'd use was like abuse yes yeah where you can if you experience you know if you're in a relationship let's say that's abusive whether that's parent child or a dating relationship or something like that as those situations continue to go on and you start to feel more and more maybe powerless or you experience the, you know, some of these reactions happening more commonly, that's gonna lead to some symptoms of trauma over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and God made us in an amazing way in that we can kind of, you know, we have, our trauma symptoms also sort of help us manage in the moment, but you know, we can go through certain events and, and recover pretty quickly, but if, if, we, if it happens too often, if you know, if it keeps happening, things like that, it starts to wear in our reserves. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have as much to bring to the table than when it happens again. Mm-hmm. So we talked about a couple of examples previously about things that are traumatic, either collectively or individually. Yeah. Um, like the Great Depression was, you know, probably traumatic for a lot of people who lived through that. Yes. And like, I know we, we both related that we had grandparents who lived during that time and today, or in years in later years they would maybe like hoard food or just like save food for a long time because you never know when you're going to need something yeah. and or that's save, maybe like, kind of a response containers, to it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah yeah it's like cool whip jar things yeah <laughs> like when my mom uh, was moving her mom down to Arizona last year they found like cake mix that was expired like 15 years ago <laughs> Yeah. It's like, okay, this can be thrown away. And my grandma's like, no, we can't throw anything away. Yeah. And that's kind of, in some ways, a trauma response. Yeah. Um, we could also talk about COVID and how COVID has affected all of us um, in some way. And yeah. even if you're not necessarily economically impacted or if you haven't known someone who's passed away from it, um, it's been a traumatic time, um, no matter where you fall on the spectrum of yeah. vaccines or masks or anything. Like, absolutely, there's a lot to unpack with what we've been going through in the last yeah. couple of years. And when you look at the COVID pandemic, you know, was it unexpected? Yep. <laughs> um, was there anything we could do about it for most lay people? Oh. Nope. Did it overwhelm you know us, especially in the early days when we had no idea what was going on and we're just told to go home and wait and, it out. And good luck with toilet paper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and good luck with toilet paper. Um, like, you know, it, so it hits all, it, it hits all the categories that you kind of look at. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's very likely that for many people, they could at least have, you know, notice some symptoms, even if they, again, don't even qualify for a full diagnosis of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and so then like more specific individual, uh, uh, circumstances about trauma can be like we talked about already with like. Uh, car accidents or an unexpected death in the family or even an expected death like yeah. if they've been battling a disease for a long time that still can be traumatic yeah yeah um and so i'm going to share one example in my life of a traumatic event a singular event um and then that'll kind of just give us an example to look at as we talk about some of the immediate trauma responses as it's happening and then some further symptoms. So um, this is a true story and I'm gonna not include any names or identifying info, but um, a couple of years ago, actually just before the pandemic, um, long story, but I was concerned about a friend and I went to check on them and I found them shortly after they'd made a suicide attempt. 
And so I had to call 911. It was with alcohol and pills. And so I had to call 911 and get them there. Um, I had to call this person's adult child to be like, Mm -hmm. your parent just attempted suicide. And then I was at the hospital for the uh, overnight and for the next day. Um, And throughout that time, I was having to kind of manage my own symptoms, which we'll kind of talk about in a moment. Um, But also I was trying to be there for the adult child that I also had a close relationship with. And so um, there was just a lot of moving pieces. And I think it's just helpful for us in our conversation to have an example like that to kind of talk through like, okay, yes, that was happening or it wasn't happening. Because again, it's different for everybody. Like you may have some of these trauma responses but not others yeah so yeah absolutely so i'm just sharing that example just to kind of as kind of a a thing to kind of look at so we can kind of see what happened in my experience so so then as trauma is happening so this is usually a more a specific event whether it's not necessarily a long-term trauma situation but when you have an event of trauma what starts happening to our minds and to our yeah. bodies. Cause it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on in your body. And the beautiful thing is, you know, that's, we were created, you know, God created us so that we can manage the moment that we're in. Mm-hmm. So as, you know, as an experience is unfolding where maybe we do feel that sense of like life or death, there's a threat. Um, again, it could be this, you know, s- s- emotional threat or physical threat, but like, our body will dump a bunch of chemicals so that we can have energy that we need to manage the current situation. And it will also shut off some things. So we'll get flooded with adrenaline. That's going to give us some energy. We're going to get the cortisol. Um, and this kind of chemical dump will happen. And you you kind of can notice this. Like, have you ever had those moments when you're driving and like you, someone, it looks like they're about to hit you and then they don't and you're like... <gasps> And you just, that's your body getting flooded in that moment. So Mm -hmm. that's, you just got a chemical dump in your body um, so that you could kind of, and it allows you to just focus on the present moment. Um, Typically when you're in that place, you're you're no longer thinking about, am I hungry? You know, you might've been hungry three minutes ago, but that's gone. You know, am I in pain right now? That's gone. These are, you know, there's kind of that stereotypical example of like, this is when the mom can lift the car off the baby. Mm -hmm. Because again, her body is flooded with all these chemicals that allow her to do that. Uh, the other things that are good to know about is that your body also decides to shut some stuff down because it's not necessary for immediate survival and it needs the energy. So your digestive system is one of those things that will sh- shut down or slow down. That's often why people who have either experienced a trauma or even people who have more of that cumulative trauma experience, they will often have digestive issues. Um, mm-hmm. Also, your um, your ability to fight off illness, your immune system, that is also often shut down in mm. that moment. So that's why you're more prone to colds. And, you know, like people get sick when they're stressed. It's because your body's putting all of its energy in other areas. And sur- mm. in imminent survival, it's not worrying about that. Mm-hmm. So you have less immunity going on for you. So there's there's all of this going on in, in, in the current moment so that you can just stay really laser focused on like, take you know getting safe in that situation the other thing that can happen is your body will also make a split second decision so mm-hmm. let's i've used the example sometimes well even using your example like you walk into that room where you realize oh no my friend is not okay mm-hmm. 
and your body has to make a split second decision about what do I do right now? What's my best coping strategy in this situation? And for some situations, like let's say a bear showed up in this room <laughs> and all of a sudden Kevin and I are like, oh my goodness, there's a bear in here. You know, our body's going to make a split second. Split second. Thank you. <laughs> split second decision and go, what's my play here? And it has a couple of options on the table. So it can go, I need to do flight. I need to get out of here, which, you you know, with bears, I wouldn't recommend. But well, it, with if there's two people in a bear situation, you only have to outrun the that's other person. True. That's true. Not necessarily the bear. Um, but yeah. I've grown up. I'll let the bear take me. You can run. <laughs> Thank you. That's so kind of you. I mean, this is my home, so right. I should be a, a good, good host, host and sacrifice yeah. it's myself what Jesus to the bear. Would do, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so flight. You you could decide fight in that moment. Your body could go. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna take this situation on um, and try to manage it that way. You may freeze, and that's, you, you know, you'll even see animals. Animals will have this where mm -hmm. you have, like, the fainting ghost where they just go down. So we don't we don't have that dramatic of a freeze, but we will kind of just sort of shut down internally in the moment and just kind of go on autopilot, and that's us doing the freeze thing. Mm -hmm. um, well, just the example I just thought of is that, um, you know, in the last couple of years with the Me Too movement, you hear... Yes. A lot of women being asked, well, why didn't you just get out of the room if Harvey Weinstein or whoever yes. was making inappropriate advances? And the reaction of so many women is that they're just like, I froze. I didn't yes. know what to do. And that's one of those split second things. Yeah, because their best, and this is often true with sexual assault, mm -hmm. since we're, is your best survival. They, their body recognizes in that moment that our best survival strategy is actually to freeze. Mm -hmm. And then we just get through it. We, we take our mind will often kind of check out over here and that way we can get through the situation because fighting probably isn't going to work because of just factors involved like so yeah and that is a viable survival strategy yeah. um and so we've got fight flight freeze and then the fourth one you may not have heard of as I much about heard of this in this context <laughs> yeah and i this I is mean, super interesting yeah i just Recently learned about it and then kind of did some research to be like, is this real or is this like pop psychology, you know? <laughs> um, but the fourth one that we talk about now is fawn. And this one you'll see a lot, is, again, in abuse situations. Often this is where this one comes up where your body recognizes my best survival strategy when I'm with maybe a person who is dangerous or who's bigger or more powerful than me is to placate and please. Mm -hmm. So I will do whatever it is that you ask me to do in this moment because that is going to keep me the safest mm -hmm. um, i'm not going to fight you on this because that is going to be dangerous for me mm -hmm. so i'm going to do i'm going to be the best version of myself i'm going to do everything that you want me to do mm -hmm. and i mean i've even been trained to do that in con in like retail context or when i worked at starbucks like yeah if an intruder comes in and is armed and says give me your money we just say okay here you go yeah yeah, because it's a it's a survival strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a you know, and each of these are valid. And a lot of times, what can happen, and you'll hear, I mean, sexual assault victims actually are, are an example of this. Is that sometimes people will feel like either other people are telling you you should have done something, or mm -hmm. you just feel like people feel the most comfortable typically with fight because mm -hmm. it feels like well, then I'm powerful and I'm doing something about this. Yep. There's actually a reason for that because one of the big things we feel in trauma is powerlessness. Yeah. 
And all those other responses can feel like powerlessness, where at least if I fought, it, I did something. Yeah. But the reality is, you didn't even make a conscious decision in that moment. Your body was like, this is the this is our best option. We're going for it. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's really helpful to know because we can get so hard on ourselves for not having done these other things. When in reality, and this is often when I'm talking to people, I'll be like, oh my goodness, your body did exactly what you needed to do, mm-hmm. what it needed to do to get you through that moment yeah. um, so that you could survive. Mm-hmm. And so now having heard that, then thinking through my experience of when I found a friend yeah. you know, in a near-death state, um, you know, it wasn't my near-death experience, but it was someone else's. And so I remember, I don't remember if I had like a stomach ache, but like, I do remember just this like shot of adrenaline, like suddenly mm-hmm. I had tons of energy and like I had been up late the night before so I, and I had just finished a work shift and so it was, it was night and I was tired. Yeah. Or I had been tired up until that yeah. moment that suddenly I was like, I'm awake, I'm awake. Um, yeah. And that that level of hyper-focus was, yeah. when I look back on it, I'm like, I really was hyper-focused yeah. because I was like, okay, I have to call 911. Okay, they're here have to call their child, have to be really calm when I call them and just lay it out simply yeah. and calmly. And then like when I got, I got, I was at the hospital shortly after the ambulance. And so I was like, okay, I have to keep it together because their kid is coming and I have to be there for the kid. Yeah. So your feelings get put in a box and we'll deal with that later. And I yeah. was like hyper-focused on that. And that helped me get through and i thought it was helping me be there for that person absolutely but it was also for myself yeah yeah because you know and i think that's a beautiful thing is that god made our brains to kind of recognize like okay there's a lot going on in this moment and i can't take it all in because if i do it will be too much it will overwhelm my resources of coping and so it kind of allows you to sort of put that stuff aside kind of Mm -hmm. step to the side of it and then stay functional in the moment yep and do the things that need to get done and thank goodness that you could be that person you yeah. know who could call all the people that need to get called and your brain let you do that um and and you couldn't have done that if you were getting hit with all the emotion of the, the situation mm-hmm. like you couldn't have done that as easily right and so it's like yep i can get through this and the important thing is like our our system it's like a, a switch got flipped right you yep. you felt it oh yeah oh, you yeah. felt the <laughs> switch get flipped and then it's just a matter of then you have to you have to have space to recover and so that the switch can get flipped again, turned back off. Yeah. Um, but what can happen either because of just you know our experiences, um, our genetic makeup sometimes even can make the switch harder to turn off. If the switch doesn't get turned off, I mean you expended a lot of energy that night. Oh yeah. And you got this chemical dump. Those chemicals need to get out of your body. Mm-hmm. Your your nervous system needs to calm down. All these things need to be able to happen. And that stuff you put in the box over here which was great in that moment, mm-hmm. at some point, you know, kind of needs to get processed yep. in and so that's the work afterwards. And sometimes if that doesn't happen or you don't have a safe space to do that, I think this even is a way that our God has made us is that sometimes because of our situations, we cannot safely do that for a while. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of hangs out mm-hmm. in the, you know, it's there in the closet and it's going to stay there. And sometimes we get surprised because we'll get in a really good situation. And then it's like the stuff in the closet, is like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> 
because it like on, you're not huh? yeah <laughs> on some level we kind of know like oh we could actually take this on now and we couldn't back there right we just it wasn't the right time i didn't have people in my life that you know i didn't have support whatever it was Mm-hmm. And then the stuff that's hanging out in the closet is like, okay, we're, we're going to probably show up now. now. <laughs> yeah. And now I got to cool. integrate all the stuff. Yeah. And like another piece that's interesting with like that adrenaline cortisol dump. Yes. It has to get out of your body somehow. Yeah. And there's like three ways it does yes. that. And I learned this after I had this experience. Um, it, you either got to sweat it out, which a lot of people sweat in these kinds of stressful yeah. situations, cry it out. Or maybe TMI, but you have to pee it out. Yep. And so, like, that day that I was in the hospital with my friend overnight and stuff, I was going to the bathroom a lot. I was like, what is going on? I haven't had an unusual amount of water. Like, what is going on? And then, like, the next day I learned, oh, stress peeing is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, oh, that makes more sense now. Yeah. And (laughs) a lot of times, you know, if you can't do anything else... You know, like, because our you know, some of some people, some of us have jobs where we're exposed to more trauma, and it's like I can't just sit and like write in my journal right now about it. Right. But the one thing I can do for myself is I can drink a bunch of water. I can go for a run after work, because that is going to help get those chemicals out of my body so that my nervous system can settle, um, because we need that. Yeah. Um, well, and like I didn't get much sleep that night overnight in the hospital. Right. And then the next several days, like it took me several days of getting extra sleep before I felt yeah fully rested again. Even though it was just one night that I didn't get as much sleep as normal. Yeah. Um, it took days because it threw off my body so Yeah, because your body expended so much energy dealing with the situation that night that even if you'd gotten your normal sleep, but you didn't, but even if you'd gotten that, it probably would have still taken you a couple right. of days. And a lot of us really underestimate, I think, the fact that our body needs recovery time after stuff. Yes. And we just kind of try to push through it. And again, I think it can feel, especially I think in, in Christian circles, it can feel like that's what maybe I'm supposed to, or I should be able to handle this. But again, God made our body with limits. Mm-hmm. Jesus modeled that our bodies have limits in his own ministry. Yes. Um, and so we have to honor those. <laughs> like we have to honor the way that we were made. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that you're going to need a few days, Yeah. you know, and you're going to have to kind of take care of yourself in that process to help give your body the chance to recover and be ready for you the next time you need it. Absolutely. So then that's kind of what happens to our bodies in the moment yeah. of you're experiencing the trauma, here's what happens while it's happening. Here's how your brain and your body get you through the moment. Yeah. What happens later down the road when you start manifesting any sort of symptoms of trauma? It may be re- well, excuse me. It may be relatively small symptoms, um, and it may range all the way to severe PTSD. Yeah. Um, what's that look like? Yeah. So it can be. Things like um, sometimes symptoms are around the idea of avoidance. So, you know, using a car example, and I will see this often with car accidents actually, where people are a little bit hesitant either to get back in the car or it's like, I'm fine getting in the car, but I want to drive past that street that I had the accident on. So it's kind of because I'm afraid of what it's going to feel like or what it's going to trigger for me, like these symptoms that are going to maybe feel overwhelming. So I'm going to feel scared or anxious. I'm going to get that adrenaline jump again. Mm -hmm. And so 
then people will start to avoid things. And the problem with avoidance, especially when it's a, avoiding things that make us anxious, is that it only makes us more anxious of the thing. Yeah. And so then it even creates, you know, more of a cycle of, you know, then I get anxious if I'm anywhere near it. And then it starts to impact our functioning, right? I can't ever drive on that street or worse, I can't drive my car anymore. Mm-hmm. Like. So you're looking for avoidance. Um, sometimes it's just things that are like memories that you associated with the car. So whenever I see a red car, because mm-hmm. the car that hit me was red, now I get sort of anxious around that or I, I'm stressful. Or And what can that anxiousness, how can that manifest? So it can be, again, just, um, I think a lot of times it's physio, it can be physiological where it's like, you're feeling shaky or mm-hmm. you out get of breath. out of breath, cold, your heart is beating really fast. Mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff can be part of it. Okay. So yeah, that's a great question. But yeah, I think a lot of those kinds of symptoms can happen. And so, or, you know, I, I avoid talking about the thing because I'm afraid even of talking about it will kind of bring it. And so more and more things can start to feel sort of tainted by this experience and then the more that that happens the more it impacts functioning so that's one of the categories um the other one i think besides avoidance is just those physiological things so maybe you're having you start having nightmares about the situation Mm. so you're not sleeping well you can have an experience and this one is one that feels really scary when you're in it where it's like all of a sudden I feel in this moment exactly like I did when that mm-hmm. thing was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it hits you and your body, again, will have a lot of those physiological symptoms often. And it can feel so overwhelming when it happens. And it can make you, if you've never experienced it before, sometimes you're like, am I going crazy right now? Because that, <laughs> yes. it feels very overwhelming in, yeah. this, in that moment. And so that's another one that can happen, which again, then can lead to avoidance. Some people too, when if it's been a big enough thing, it really can alter your perspective on the world and like question things that you held, you held without question before. Like mm-hmm. whether it's as simple as the world is a safe place or God sure. is good or, you know, it's like, okay, well, this thing just happened. How do I make sense of that? Like, well, and that's what the country grappled with after 9 11. You yeah. know, we thought we were safe on our airplanes or whatever. Yeah. And suddenly now we're like, oh, we're not as safe as we thought. Yeah. Yeah. And you even think about like on a small level, like, you know, I've gotten to the point where if I go to the store now and this is so tiny, but like it used to be that I just expected like if I wanted this brand of apples, that brand of apples was going to be there. Yeah. Since the pandemic and all the shipping and all the whatever, I, you know, it's like, it's, I mean, it's like hit or miss whether it'll be there. And I always have a little of anxiety if it's something I really want, you know, or need. It's like, will it be there? Like. You know, mm. so it, it can start to shift our perspective. And on the one hand, you know, it can really help us ask important questions about our faith, about who God is, about... On the other hand, it can also scare us or make us, you know, like we can reevaluate our, our faith and our just our beliefs about the world in pretty profound ways. Mm-hmm. And those things are harder to even you know, even notice there can also be relational things where like, because maybe I get more irritable because I'm dealing with this kind Mm, of anxiety or things like that. And then you and I can be talking and I'm like, wow, you don't really get how the world works because you've never (laughs) been through anything hard, obviously. Right. (laughs) And so now I feel like I can't connect with you because I, I don't think you're going to get it maybe, you know, or you don't, you wouldn't understand what I'm going through. And so then it creates even a a relational disconnect sometimes. Yeah. 
And so um, one of the things you mentioned was that over time, these symptoms can progress to the point where they're um, hindering daily life yes. and hindering your function. Is that the point? Because I mean, a lot of times, a lot of us have been through some sort of trauma sure. and maybe not dealt with it specifically yeah. because, you know, we maybe had some symptoms, but they weren't consistent. They didn't stick around yes. long enough to inhibit, inhibit function. At what point should a person say, something traumatic has happened to me and I should get help with this? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it really is if it's if it's impacting functioning, and especially if it impacts functioning for longer than, I would say, like, for sure longer than a month, because mm -hmm. you're going to expect to see it impact your functioning for a little while when something major has happened. Uh, and I, like... I even give a caveat with that because like if you've, let's say you lost someone in a profound way, obviously in a month, you're still not going to be functioning the way you were before the thing right. happened. You may never function the way before you did before the thing happened. That So that's not what we're going for. But if you're like, I'm not sleeping, I'm having nightmares or I'm ha having these flashes of, you know, these moments where I feel like I'm back in that experience and it's been longer than a month it might be worth having a conversation sure. with somebody. Cause I think a lot of times, like you said, we all go through this stuff and the big things I, you know, when I'm meeting with someone, I want to know like, what was your support system like? And a lot of times mm -hmm. I'll ask them like, who did you tell about this and how did they respond? Yeah. Because that is so powerful. Yes. <laughs> so I worked with someone and I'm going to do lots of evading as far as who, but there was a person in the past that I had worked with who was, had been a missionary um, and it had been in frontline situations mm -hmm. in some really intense situations. Never had heard of trauma. Frontline like battle? Like, yeah. So it was like, there's stuff going War on okay. and even though they were doing more humanitarian types of things. Mm -hmm. They're um, still present in that Yes. Area. They were still seeing the things. Yep. And so when they first started having symptoms, I mean, again, it was, again, they were believers. So it was like, am I, you know, what's going on with me? And then they, they had reached out to some people that were, should have been their support system. And the support system basically said, this is a defect of your character that you're having these responses. Ugh. So that was like a trauma times itself. two. Yeah. You know, so... Because a lot of times if we have safe, supportive people that we can go to and talk about these experiences and they are there to listen and validate and acknowledge, we can do a lot of that processing with mm -hmm. them. But when we don't have that, A, that, that becomes a problem and it's, it's harder to cope. And then B, you know, certain situations, even with great support, you're still going to have responses that linger or oh, that, yeah. you know, they, and you're going to need maybe some additional tools. So yeah. I think when you're, you know, past that 30 days point and it's not just like, I'm not the person I was before, but like I can't eat and sleep and go to work the way that I would like to right now. Mm -hmm. Even, even if you're not fully present, but you're, you're able to do this. Like those are times when I would talk to somebody. Yeah. And I guess applying some of these things to the experience I had, um, thankfully, I didn't manifest a lot of like trauma symptoms yeah. and certainly nothing long-term. Um, but I, for a few days at work, it was, I was just really distracted. Yes. Um, thanks totally for normal. retail. And so it wasn't like anybody's life was on the line at work. So yeah. I was like, so that was fine. I, I could, I can be distracted and also help someone search yeah. for the correct size. Um, but I also noticed like, um, 
because my friend was first brought to Fairview Ridges Hospital for anybody who's familiar with Burnsville. Okay. It's now called M Health something. I don't know. M Health Fairview probably. Yeah. Um, but so that hospital was where my friend was brought to the ER and for the next week I had to drive by that and every time I drove by I just got such high anxiety when yeah. I got close to the hospital and just even seeing the hospital even though I didn't like see the parking lot that I parked in or like yeah. see the doors just knowing that I was close to that where it happened yeah my heart just started like and I couldn't breathe and I just and like oh I just noticed over the week that reaction gradually yeah. lessened over time as I got more well rested yes and yeah. And that's what we want to see. I mean, that's what I would be looking for. If you and I had been, you know, meeting during that time for some reason, I would, you know, I, that was what I would want to see because that's really normal response. Again, normal response mm -hmm. to an abnormal event, but it went down over time. And, and you did the thing that's hard to do, which is you kind of let yourself go there and feel that. So you drove by the hospital, even though like sometimes it's like i want to avoid that feeling and so i'll just avoid the hospital yeah but the best way actually to to help that response go down was actually what you did which is to drive by yeah. you know you experience this stuff you kind of breathe your way through it yeah and then over time it will start to go down which if i had known that i was going to react that way i might not have driven yes. by. like i didn't know i was going to feel that at all because i was like okay everything's fine now my friend's in a good place yeah. they're getting the help they need it's all good i i had no idea when I got on the road that day that like yeah driving by was gonna be a thing yeah and absolutely I might have taken a longer more circuitous route if if I had realized that yeah but. yeah and sometimes you know that will happen and that's why too I think the sooner that you go and attack some even if you just go in once or twice like you may not have full-blown trauma but sometimes like in a situation like that let's say that you know you drove by that first time and you're like yikes that was a lot yeah I don't want to deal with that. And so then you started kind of avoiding a little bit. If I, you know, if you'd met with someone, they could have been like, hey, you know, I noticed that you, but let's maybe try, let's have you drive there, but maybe have someone else drive you. And, yeah. and so that you can just be with someone, they'll know what's going on, but they can just be with you so that you can kind of, you know, do it in a slightly less anxiety provoking way, but still mm -hmm. kind of approach it. Right. So that we can work your Ease way your down. Way into it. Yes. Yep. Um, because otherwise, it's so tempting to want to like, and it's okay if the first day, you know, you, you don't drive by it. Like nobody's saying you have to like push yourself to the max. The, again, you just want to take baby steps towards reintegrating those pieces of your life back in so that you don't lose freedom. Yeah. Um, because that's what can happen is the anxiety can start to build and then you start to lose pieces of freedom and functionality. Yeah. Um, and again, it's the way our brains were designed. So they're like, I don't want to experience, like that was painful and hard and overwhelming. Yeah. And what it will do then our brain is, it will kind of scan for everything that it sort of can attach to that experience that sets off warning lights. So it knows like, Hey, when I'm in a situation like this, this is what I should be looking for. But our brains can get so specific where it's like, okay, now it's the hospital, right? Right. <laughs> um, and now it's like, I don't even want to be around the hospital. And, you know, or you can start to pick out all these different things that are connected to it. Um, a really good example is why this is really helpful is, you know, let's say when you're a little kid and you touch the stove and it's hot, it's like your brain kind of goes, okay, nope, don't, that hot, bad. Like, yeah. don't touch it, you know? 
And that's a really adaptive thing for us to be able to, our brains to do is to learn to mm-hmm. like learn from pain. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you're, you know, the problem would be like, what if you then were like, oh, I don't ever, you know, actually ovens altogether are scary. Or yep. you know what, now actually the kitchen, I don't even want to be in the kitchen because that's where the oven with the hot <laughs> burner is. Then you start to lose functioning. Yep. So you want to be able to kind of be specific mm-hmm. and our brains like to generalize. Yes. Well, as you were talking, I just kind of thought of my mom because when she was, I don't know, some pretty young, like in grade school or something, she like got a chipped tooth. And so like she had to go to the dentist and get it drilled and they didn't use anesthesia or Novocaine or something. And so like it was just really painful. And so she just associated the sound of drilling with a really bad dental experience. Absolutely. Which is hilarious because my dad works in construction. (laughs) So like just anytime she heard drilling, part of her was just kind of like, ugh. Yeah. Um, And like part of her also wants to avoid going to the dentist. She knows she has to. Yeah. And she does. And that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's hilarious because she's like, I, I shouldn't share that's maybe she want me sharing that but it's funny it's fine yeah, she's it's good she still gets her yeah. goes to the dentist but um she doesn't like it yeah she yeah. really doesn't like it because she had that one bad experience with the dentist yeah as a kid and my guess is that there's some chemical stuff happening when she goes in and, yeah. and even though she's going in which is good she's not totally avoiding it there you know she's avoiding it with discomfort and some of us and I think again I can see this with Christians often is that we might not avoid, but we're still doing things in a high level of misery. <laughs> and, yep. you know, so it's like I'm white knuckling my way through this situation. And again, you know, we talked about this last week, but like there are times where there might be tools on hand that would allow you to not have to white knuckle it. Yeah. You know, so, you, so yes, you're functioning, but you're functioning with your your knuckles white and your face pale and you're you know and it's like it's taking so much out of your body and your resources to get through that situation when there might be some tools that help you and not to say that that's what your mom used to do but I think that's such a great example of like I I just see that a lot because I I don't think I said this totally in the last last week but primarily my work has been in in Christian context so I feel like that's one of those places where I will see you know like no, you're still functioning, but you're functioning with such a high level of pain that we might be able to make it so that you can function with more with more joy, with more fullness and less pain. Mm-hmm. You know, your pain tolerance is amazing, but maybe we don't have to like, <laughs> you know. Not everything has to be pushed to that limit. Yes. Yeah. Um, so another question that um, is kind of really interesting is that adults and kids... Yes. experience trauma very differently and certainly kids brains are in a constant pro i mean adult yeah. brains are always developing too but especially kids yes brains are developing so what are some of the different ways that adults and children experience trauma differently yeah so we've talked about some of the things that adults experience whether it's like um you know the physiological symptoms you know the tendency maybe to avoid uh, the ways that it can shape their worldview. Like you said, because kids are kids, they're doing a lot of brain and body development. So A, trauma can impact them on some fundamental levels, but often the way that their symptoms come out is through behavior. Hmm. So that is the golden ticket, is if you see your kid behaving in a you know dramatically different way or 
you notice like, wow, they've always been this way and all of a sudden that's shifted. Like it's really worth getting to the bottom of that. Like what is going on? Why has there been such a behavioral shift? The other thing you can see with kids is they'll be more clingy. Um, they'll regress developmental stages, mm. very common. Um, so, you know, your child who was, you know, fully potty trained, not a bedwetter, all of a sudden is wetting the bed again. Uh, super normal and common. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things, but I think, again, they'll also want to avoid, like we all just, our brains are like, let's not do pain if we don't have to. <laughs> yep. So, you know, you have the kiddo who stops going to school or they no longer want to go to so-and-so's house. Yeah. Um, they start exhibiting all this kind of anxiety around going over to so-and-so's house. Like you want to get to the bottom of what that's about because that could be very telling or they're not, maybe they're not eating or, you know, so you really want to pay attention to behavior changes because they can't tell you like, Hey, I'm feeling really overwhelmed because yeah. this, you know, and they don't have all the language. And that's the other big thing is they don't have language to tell you how they're feeling. I mean, sometimes even as adults, we don't have good language. So you yeah. can imagine <laughs> what a kiddo has on. So they're really needing us as adults to kind of recognize wow, your behavior seems really different or you seem to really be activated by this thing or you get really upset when you see this thing. You got to kind of, it's like a puzzle box and you kind of mm, got to yeah. put the pieces together and figure out what's going on. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I even noticed that on such small scales, like if my one of my nieces or nephews like has a bad experience with something, yeah, they don't want to do it again. Like, no, no, yeah. no, no. Like, no, I fell off my bike once. I don't want to ever get on it again. And it's like, Okay, you know, I don't want to push them onto it immediately, but yeah. like also I want to say, you can do this. You can learn this skill. Yeah. But and I also want to recognize, yeah, you had a hard time with that last time. Yeah, and then you got to kind of do the the taking it a little bit at a time thing again. I think the other thing that sometimes adults miss about kids is that kids are often far more aware than we give them credit for. They mm. know when stuff is going down, even if you're not talking to them about it. And yeah. I have been floored at times at what, <laughs> kids they'll tell you through their drawings they'll tell you they'll mm -hmm. they'll on so many levels they'll tell you i know what's happening yeah you can even i mean even with babies you will have babies like if their parents have been through something traumatic or something even their behavior their pattern of crying their cleanness will change and mm, so even at a really tiny age uh, you're still getting changes in behavior so I think that's, again, that's just the golden ticket is like, what's, you know, why is this behavior change happening? When is it happening? And often, you know, a lot of trauma work is figuring out what are kind of the triggers that we maybe are and aren't aware of and then learning how to, to calm our nervous system down when we meet that, when we hit those triggers so mm -hmm. that they no longer overpower and, and our brain, our body doesn't go into, this is a, a serious threat. Right. Um, anymore because we don't need that response anymore. Right. And then we kind of touched a little bit on this, but like, um, it, what's the difference between, or is there a possibility of having like collective trauma versus like individual trauma? And so collective being like a family or um, a nation, like I mentioned COVID, you know, yeah. what, what are the, some of those dynamics look like? Yeah, I think there absolutely is. And you'll see it like, I think as different, you know, whether it's countries or families, you know, I've spent some time in the Middle East and seeing how different war experiences or, you know, the rise of different groups and the impact that has on people, like you will see a whole, I mean, I think about like, um, 
Ukraine right now. Yes. Where Ukraine is in a collective trauma. Yes. Because even if you're not living in a town that's being directly impacted by the war, you probably have family members who are. You're watching it on the news. Somebody you know is affected and mm -hmm. it's your country and your home and your so they're going through a collective trauma and that collective trauma is going to shape a lot of things for them, mm -hmm. whether it's just you know physiological responses that they now have to different things to how they view the world to how they understand the world like all of those things are going to be shaped by this thing that everyone's now granted it's going to shape different people in different ways sure. based on things we've talked about but it would be pretty hard to walk through that situation and not be shaped at all right <laughs> like yep. and i think COVID is the same way right for most of us it was this hugely disruptive moment mm -hmm. and you know whether you lost your job or you worked from home or you had to homeschool or you had family members that got sick or you know maybe even passed away from COVID, like we've all on some level dealt with the realities of COVID in our lives granted how that shakes out for each one of us will look different but it will shape us as a community in mm -hmm. certain ways because we've walked through that experience. Yeah. Well, I also think of like the experience of people of color and experiencing racism. Yes. Like that's a form of collective trauma. Absolutely. So, like, even though like something like George Floyd, you know, in theory, it's only traumatic to his immediate family and friends that lost him. It's collectively traumatic to Absolutely. a lot of people. Because they, they, yes, because A, it's like, this is a reminder that I'm not safe. Right. This is, and this person represents my brother, my nephew, my cousin, stories I've heard, experiences mm -hmm. that I've had personally, all of those come into play. And those, and there's, and there's so many of those stories that are, you know, George Floyd is, is a big one, but there's so many more that happened before oh, and yeah. since. So, oh, yeah you know, this moment happens and all those other traumas also come back and mm -hmm. are impacting you in that moment. And that's the other thing is trauma can be a bit cumulative, like mm -hmm. sort of like grief can be cumulative. So how I experience this trauma, we've sort of hit on this, but is going to be shaped by the other traumas I've experienced. No. And a big thing, honestly, that happens that can impact our ability to process trauma is whether it's acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think when you look at something like that, it's like, do people even acknowledge that that was a traumatic event or that that was, shouldn't have happened or whatever. Um, and I've seen examples of, of things where people are unwilling to acknowledge. Sometimes that happens with wars or, mm -hmm. you know, um, genocide where it's like, if it's never officially acknowledged, like that wound just kind of, you know, oh, it's yeah. like, it's really hard to find healing when we can't even name Agreed. it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot with that. So much with that. <laughs> we, yeah. Yeah. We're probably not even the best people to. <laughs> <laughs> well, then getting towards the end, one of the final couple of questions I have is how do you identify and process trauma? So, I mean, there may be things that you can point to in your life. You're like, okay, clearly that was a trauma because I reacted in these ways to yeah. it. Yeah. And may, you may or may not have come through that in a healthy way. Um, but if you're looking back on your life and saying, was that trauma? Was yeah. that an accumulation of events that add up to trauma? So how do you identify that? And then how do you process a trauma in a healthy way, whether it's something that just happened or something that you recognized happened years ago and it still has residual impacts yeah. on you? I think, you know, A 
a lot of it has to do with, you know, how did I perceive that event? So I think if you're, as you're looking back going, were there experiences that I had that were pretty overwhelming that I really didn't know what to do with at the time, or I didn't really have anywhere I could go with it, like that maybe are still shaping, you know, how I see the world, or I'm, I'm noticing that I have some responses. Sometimes our responses are just, you know, I get really irritable with people when they respond in a certain way to me. Could that be mm. connected to something I've experienced in the past? You yeah. know, like, so I think just looking at, at those things or even just recognizing, like, do I see patterns where I continue to find myself freezing in situations mm. where I don't maybe necessarily need to, but it's sort of my body sort of responds that way. Or I, I, I'm in that sort of fawn position where if someone's an authority, I tend to just do whatever they want. Like, do I notice patterns of that? Because maybe that's an indicator light, a warning light. Um, do I have physiological symptoms that pop up, you know, maybe in situations that I'm like, well, when I think about it, that, you know, I am always nervous when a car comes at me from the right side, mm -hmm. you know? Like, yeah. And that's a minor example because most of us, that doesn't significantly impact functioning. But, you know, it's just recognizing, like, are there things that, are there patterns of things that are continue to pop up in my life right. that might be connected to something in the past? Maybe I do need to look at that. Yeah. I think that's, you know, looking and at those things. And that doesn't mean you have something as severe as PTSD. No. PTSD is actually not the most common mental health issue you would have. Most common, actually, is just anxiety or maybe even a specific phobia. So, again, mm -hmm. like, hospitals. Yep. You know, I don't ever go in hospitals again because that's actually the most common. We talk about PTSD a lot, A, because we started understanding trauma through the eyes of veterans. That's kind mm -hmm. of how trauma started to be understood. And, you know, it, you, you know, we started with the after effects of war. So, yep. you know, so that we just, you know, we just got to know it through that lens. But there's, there's many other things that could be playing out for you um, that, I think just, you know, could be worth looking at and going, even on a, a small level, even if I don't have full-blown PTSD, but I just recognize patterns in my life that seem to have maybe stemmed or from this situation. It's probably not a bad idea to talk to somebody and, mm -hmm. you know. And I think as far as starting that process, you know, it could be as simple as journaling or, you know, even what to do after a trauma. I mean, first of all, super basic, like do the cry, pee, mm -hmm. drink water, sweat, you know, yep. like just get the chemicals out of your body. The second thing I think is to be able to process with somebody. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a therapist, but just who's your support system. Yeah. You need to reach out to them. You need to talk about and talk about the stuff. The more you don't want to probably talk about something is likely the more you need to talk about it. So it's like, <laughs> yep. you know, I feel like I was a failure. I should have handled this better. Um, you know, stuff you feel shame around about that comes up in the situation or, you know, like any of that, you want to expose that to the healing light of sunlight and, yes. and validation, validation, empathy, like when you can put that in front of somebody and they can meet you with validation and empathy, it can do a lot to take away some of the burden that you might be carrying after a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And then just doing things like taking care of yourself, get more sleep, <laughs> Yep. you know, keep a little bit of a schedule because mm -hmm. that can help. And with kids, schedules are amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, they really do well with that. But even for you, like it doesn't, but it doesn't have to be rigid. You know, there can be some wiggle room, but just, I'm going to get up at the same time every day. I'm going to go to bed at the same time every day. I'm going to 
put on clothes, like whatever that is. And then I think, you know, you mentioned this too, how you were a little bit distracted in the early mm-hmm. days. So really simple, practical thing is like write stuff down. Yes. Like <laughs> in your phone, on a calendar, whatever, just your brain is not going to be able to hold as much because it is processing, processing, processing. Yeah. So little detail crap, it doesn't care about right then. (laughs) So just write it down and that way you have it, you know, and that you don't have to think so hard Mm -hmm. because you're doing a lot. And I think just being kind to yourself in those first days and recognizing if you're having some of those symptoms, just let them come. Mm -hmm. Don't avoid them or try to run away from them because just like you did sort of accidentally, but like it's almost like you just have to work it through (laughs) and then it will start to come down and then you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Like granted, like I said, sometimes stuff happens and we need a little bit of extra support. And then I think counseling, there's some specific trauma work that people can do that has amazing effects on, you know, if, if it feels like, wow, this is really taking over. I can't sleep at night or I just have so many of these experiences where I feel like I'm back in that moment or another one, I forgot to talk about this one, but hypervigilance is a big one. So like mm, that yeah. that constant like being on edge, looking for danger all the time, mm-hmm. that's exhausting. Oh yeah. Um, Cause like you said, you were in that hyper state of alert. Mm-hmm. That happens, you know, often when we're in, and again, if that doesn't click off, like being that on that level of alert is Oof. so tiring. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you, you need to be able to, to, so if that's not happening, there's things that can be done for your sleep. There's things that can be done to help you manage memories that are maybe just having too much power in your life. Mm-hmm. Like there's some really great therapies out there that are specifically for people who've gone through trauma. Yeah. So don't be afraid to reach out to those. Yeah. Well, and you can like, I think of an event like a car accident, you may not even be the person who was in the cars that were affected. Right. But if you're on the scene and you see yes. some really grisly, gruesome, whatever Absolutely. injuries, that can be a form of trauma. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, I think, you know, first responders often mm-hmm. experience a ton of trauma because they are seeing stuff. And even though it's not them or even someone they know, you know, that's still hard. And I, I said this to you before, but I, the way I like to think about trauma is especially the symptoms of trauma is that we are living in a world that is broken and not right. Yes. And trauma is evidence of that. Mm -hmm. And our symptoms of trauma are almost like our bodies agreeing, like what just happened was not what I was designed for. It's not what this was supposed to be about. And so this, what happened is not okay. It's not right. The world is not right. Right. And it's almost like our trauma symptoms are agreeing with God that like this (laughs) thing was not okay. Yeah. And I think sometimes we are working so hard to, to like spiritualize and be like, I, I should be okay through this. When in reality, like this wasn't okay. No. Like God this, is not okay with yeah, this either. Like, no. And so God talks about these situations in the Bible as being horrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I always go back to Romans where it talks about the groaning passage because we always jump to all things work together. Yes. (laughs) But what we miss is the whole section before. Oh yeah. Where it talks about the creation is groaning. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is groaning on our behalf and words that aren't even words. Like (laughs) that is, so Paul's validating our reality before he ever gets to God works yes. through them. <laughs> and I think we just jump <laughs> yep. um, out of our own anxiety to like that part when in reality, like 
the groaning is real. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> and trauma, I think, is is often just, that is us groaning about the brokenness of the world. Yeah. And I, I, it's so important for us to recognize that because if we're not acknowledging what trauma is and what trauma does, that's yeah. going to hinder our discipleship. Absolutely. If we're is. not validating people's experiences, that creates a wall that closes the door yeah. to say, okay, I can't talk to that person because yeah you know and even though like certainly you don't understand every aspect of a person's experience but yeah. like you can be there for them yeah um i i don't know what it's like to experience a miscarriage yeah. but i can sit there with someone and yeah. listen to someone who's experienced that absolutely and the reality is is that there have already been many people who have left church mm-hmm. and walked out the church door because they they scanned the room and through you know, conversations or just how things were talked about, they're like, I cannot share this real thing that I've walked through because no one's gonna understand or get it, or they're gonna they're gonna try they're gonna jump to the fix and not sit with mm. me in the groaning. Yep. And so and I know that because I've sat with them on the other side where they already had walked out church mm-hmm. doors and, you know, they're sitting in my office talking through this stuff and being like, I and sometimes it's out of like, I, I feel like I'm protecting them from knowing how bad the world is, <laughs> you know, but it's like, but it's really sad because I want our churches to be spaces where it's safe yeah. to be real about what we've walked through and for it to be healing. I think that's what Jesus would want, but we have sometimes missed the mark. And that's why oh, yeah. I, I like doing these conversations because I think if we can do that better, mm-hmm. we are going to disciple people better. Yeah. One, Jesus himself says, like, I came here for the people who are sick, who need yeah. healing. And, like, that's absolutely about mental health yeah. in part, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it. I, I talked about with this in a previous episode with Anna, but, like, sometimes what lo- is phrased as demonization in the Bible might be considered mental illness today. Right. We, we can't necessarily make that conclusion but yeah. like these kinds of issues have been persistent throughout history. Yes. And God absolutely wants to be there with us yeah. through these things. And um and you know, like we've emphasized before, prayer is always an important part absolutely. of this. Um but there are additional tools that God is providing us yeah. for us and saying, This tool is an answer to the prayer that you're praying yeah. right now. Um yeah. You know, sometimes we just want the snap fix. Yeah. But that's not always how it works. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes God chooses to work that way. But, you know, more often than not, it is sort of the the slow process of healing. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, you know, he doesn't, yeah, he he often, instead of doing the quick, the quick fix, has us walk through a process. And, you know, I don't know, you know, why he chooses to do it one way sometimes and, you know, the other way other times. But I know that more often than not, it is more the the slow process. Yeah. And that he wants to meet us in that. Yeah. Well, and just suddenly, I, just as you were saying that, like, Jesus is our fix. Jesus will come and heal yes. all things. But even that wasn't a quick fix because... He was alive for 33 years, they, they yeah. estimate. So, like, that's a 33-year solution. Yeah. Um, that's Even that's not a quick fix. I mean, there's just so yeah. many things in the Bible that are not quick fixes. And mental health is part of that. Yeah. Trauma is part of that. Yeah. And 
I don't want to say we have to be okay with that because there's nothing okay about yeah. some of these experiences, but we have to accept that that's the reality yeah. Yeah. of them. Um, they take time, they take effort, and it's hard. Yeah. Um, but we have to acknowledge that or else we're not going to disciple well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, and I think that's the thing is if we can just have some of this basic knowledge of mental health, the resources, all the things that you've been doing in the past five weeks, I think we can disciple better. We can, our own relationship with God can be, can grow and develop and deepen as we start to understand how other things might be shaping. Mm -hmm. our, but also we can be present for people and in ways that are healing and powerful when we can acknowledge the reality of trauma, when we can acknowledge the reality of how hard the mental, the struggle with mental health can be. Like when we can sit with people in those spaces, we can help them see the presence of God. Yes. And I think that's the power of it. Absolutely. Well, this has been a very wide ranging conversation and there's so much more depth we could get into on yes. all of these aspects. But um, I'm really thankful for you for watching or listening um, into these conversations about mental health. Um, because historically they've just not happened enough yeah. in the church. And so I'm really thankful for you for participating in that. I'm thankful to Anna Grizka for her contributions to the previous three episodes. And I'm thankful to Lisa Wold here um, for her comp uh, contribution to these two episodes and just an open invite. If you ever want to come back and talk about anything yeah, mental health you. related, just let me know and we'll throw in an episode. But yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll definitely be, I'm sure, talking about mental health in future episodes as well. Um, but for now, we are done with the mental health series for the moment. But again, I'm sure at some point we'll yeah. address it again in some way. But um, thanks again, Lisa. Yeah, thank and you thank you all me. for being a part of this. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're watching or listening to. And as always, have a wonderful day. Thank you.